This is it. This is our final week in our good news series. And if you're just now joining us, I'm going to, this is the last time church that you're going to hear the recap, but I got to recap it for those of us who are, who are, those who are just joining us. We've been talking about the four pillars of the gospel. Uh, the word gospel in the Greek literally means good news. And uh, we talked about the bad news. The bad news is that we are born into this world with hearts that are deceptive and, 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 and have a tendency for evil. Uh, we are deserving of death because of our sin. There's nothing that we can do to change our circumstance. It is only a gift of God. That is the bad news. The good news is, is that Jesus came to be with you. He died to forgive you. He rose to give you new life. And today we're talking about his ascension. He ascended to give you victory. And we get these four pillars from Acts chapter 2 when Peter gives the first gospel message to thousands of people in Jerusalem after the Holy Spirit comes and falls on the, on the people in the upper room and they all come out spilling out of the room speaking in tongues. Peter stands up and boldly declares the gospel and he talks about those four things. Jesus came to be with you. He died to forgive you. He rose to give you new life and he ascended to give you victory. So today we are talking about the ascension. The resurrection is incredibly good news and it is... Uh, it is appropriate that we celebrate it every year, but we should be celebrating it every time we gather. Amen. But here's the truth that the good news gets even better than the resurrection. How can you get even better than the resurrection? It gets better. Jesus did not only save you from something. He saved you into something. He didn't just save you from an eternity in hell and being apart from being apart from God, but he saved you into a life of abundance that is filled with the Holy Spirit, full of power, and he gives you the ability to commune with God and to walk in righteousness, walk in the righteousness of Jesus. It's not by our own works, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit that makes us righteous before God. It gets even better. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. We're going to read the portion of Scripture that talks about the ascension of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. I know we have it on the screen, but if you got your Bible, turn with me there. It says this. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore the kingdom? They're expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome still. And he replies in verse 7, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me uh, everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? <laughs> I, love, I just love the humor here. It's like, well, we're watching Jesus go to heaven. <laughs> Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. I recently had a conversation with someone who is very close to me, who isn't following Jesus. 
and we began talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And they said something very honest in the course of this conversation. They said, it isn't fair that God would expect someone to believe in something that happened so long ago. It must have been great for the people who saw Jesus' resurrected body. It must have been great for the people watching him ascend to heaven. But what about the rest of us? If God really wanted to save everyone, then why doesn't he show his face again so we can truly believe? What an honest question. And as he said that, I was like, you know, that is, that's a really good question. I started asking myself, why did Jesus have to ascend to heaven? Why didn't he stick around to prove to everyone that he was alive? Romans 10, 9. It says that you have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. Wouldn't that be a whole lot easier if you were looking at him in the face? If you saw him standing right there, if God truly wants people to put their trust in their, in their faith, in, in the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead and he is alive, then wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier if Jesus was still on the earth with us today? Why did Jesus have to ascend? And this is the question that we are going to answer this morning. And we're going to talk also about the role of the Holy Spirit as well. But first, let's lay the foundation of this conversation. The underlying truth that anchors this part of the good news is this statement. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's this statement. What happened for Jesus happens for us. What happened happened for Jesus happens for us. Jesus invites people to follow him not only in his life and the way that he treated others, the way that he honors God, He also invites us to follow him into his death and in his resurrection. And yes, we are supposed to follow Jesus and we are going to follow Jesus in his ascension. What happens for Jesus? Jesus became the model for us to follow after, not just in life and death and resurrection, but also in his ascension. He is the ultimate example of what it looks like for a believer. Romans 6, 4. Paul said it this way. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. We were buried with him. We share that with Jesus. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. We follow Jesus into his death. We follow Jesus into his resurrection. Jesus was buried. And he invites us to bury our sinful nature. Jesus was raised to life. And he gives us new life as well. Jesus ascended to heaven, and one day we too will ascend to heaven. Jesus walked by the power of the Holy Spirit. He shared intimacy with God. He lived with passion and purpose, and Jesus calls us to follow him in all of these areas. What happened for Jesus happened for us as well. Why did Jesus ascend, and how do we share in his ascension? First of all, I was, I was thinking about this as I was contemplating this. The the very fact that we ask that question is kind of selfish in nature. Jesus, do you understand that Jesus is God? He created the universe. And when we talk about his death, we go, yeah, I know why Jesus had to die. It was for my sins. It was because I couldn't do it myself. I know why Jesus rose again because he he was God. He he gave me new life. But, But why did Jesus have to ascend? What's in it for me? I mean, 
the fact is, is Jesus is God and he's returning to his throne in heaven. That's where he belongs. He belongs on the seat of heaven. That is his dwelling place. And we go, well, what's in it for me? Why did he have to ascend? Well, I'm going to answer this question. Uh, we're going to answer this question in four parts. I got four things. There's probably more reasons, but here's four things for us. Number one, Jesus ascended to prepare a place for us. To prepare a place for us. John 14, 2 through 4. says, my, father ha- my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus went first to the place that all believers will eventually go. Heaven. Now, heaven is often depicted as a golden city in the clouds with little baby angels playing their harps and shooting Cupid arrows at people. And everyone is singing all the time. And what I just described for some of you is actually hell, not heaven. (laughs) And we have descriptions in the Bible that portray streets of gold and pearly gates. But here's the reality. What really makes heaven heaven is the fact that Jesus is there. What makes heaven heaven is the fact that it is a place where God eternally dwells. And if Jesus didn't ascend to heaven, then it wouldn't really be heaven without Jesus. The statement that Jesus made about preparing a place, it's a reference to a traditional Jewish wedding. Uh, in the first century, when a, 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 groom, a groom was going to propose to his bride-to-be, he would uh, pay a price for his bride. Uh, it was the bride price. He'd pay the bride price to the father-in-law, and then he would go away for a time to prepare a place. He would either build a house or build an addition onto his father's house, and he would prepare this place for his future bride. And here's the thing. the Only the father could say when the place was finished, when the preparations were complete. And so the, the, the groom-to-be had to wait for his father's permission to tell him, okay, you're ready. The place is good. You can go get your bride now. And then... When the place was finally ready, and by the way, this could have taken months, this could have taken years, and the bride, all she could do was wait expectantly for her future husband to return, to carry her off to their new place. But when the bridegroom did eventually come, he would come singing down the streets with all of his friends, and they would show up at the bride's house, and he'd pick her up, and he'd carry her off to their new place where they would have a wedding feast, a wedding banquet, and they would celebrate the wedding. And that is what Jesus is referring to here. Do you understand that we are in the engagement process? You and I are in the engagement process. The groom has gone to prepare a place for us, and he's coming again to take his bride home. Oftentimes we think as believers that the resurrection was it. That is, we're done, right? That was the, the final step. That was the, That's as big as it's going to get. No, we're still engaged. We haven't even got to the wedding yet, people. The best is yet to come. Jesus is returning again. In fact, Paul says that the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent is like an engagement ring for you and I. In 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set 
his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. See, the word Paul used for seal is related to the Greek word. um, It's related to the word for wedding ring or engagement ring that the Greeks still use to this day. Now, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit has been given to you as God's promise, saying, I'm coming back for you. You are mine. You belong to me. So if you are a believer and you ever have doubts about your faith, if you ever doubt uh, whether or not I'm a Christian, come on, we've all been there. I, I remember as a kid, I'd raise my hand every Sunday in class just to be sure. Just, you know, what, like I got to bulletproof this, right? We'd raise our hand. Yeah, I want to say yes to Jesus over and over again. If there's ever any doubt that you are with God, that you are a believer, that, that you belong to him, do you have the Holy Spirit? If you do, you are his. And the Bible says that when you say yes to Jesus, you are given a new spirit. You're given the Holy Spirit. It is by faith you receive the spirit when you say yes to Jesus. And it is God's seal that you belong to him and he's coming back for you someday. There's an alternate interpretation to this verse when Jesus is talking about preparing a place. Uh, some have meant Jesus' statement to mean something different, but it's just as powerful and just as true. Jesus, when he makes this statement in uh, J- John chapter 14, I believe it was, yeah, he's comforting his disciples after telling them about his upcoming death. And immediately after he makes a statement about preparing a place, he begins talking about the Holy Spirit. And do you understand that the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in unclean places? The Holy Spirit is God's presence. It cannot dwell in an unclean vessel. And the place Jesus was pre- preparing could have been referring to the hearts of people. He, w- he may have been referring to his death that cleansed our hearts so that the Holy Spirit could live inside of us. He prepared our hearts for the Holy Spirit, but he's also preparing us for heaven as well. The first reason that Jesus had to ascend was because he ascended to prepare a place for us. The second reason, Jesus ascended to become the high priest forever. What is the significance of this? Hebrews 4.14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Let me ask you, what do priests do? Priests, they worship and they minister to God, but they also intercede on behalf of others. And the priest is the connection point in in, in the law. During the law, when there was the temple and the tabernacle, the priest was the connection point between God and man. They were the mediator between God and humankind. And the high priest is significant is because the high priest was the only one permitted to, to walk beyond the veil in the temple on the Day of Atonement and approach the presence of God that was in the Ark of the Covenant. And Jesus is our high priest forever who intercedes on our behalf. He is our mediator. Romans 8.34 says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, and he goes beyond the resurrection. Paul says he's at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Did you know that Jesus is interceding for you? Now, if that's not a powerful prayer team, I don't know what is. The Son of God is interceding on your behalf. He is 
He is petitioning the Father for your faith. He's petitioning the Father for your healing, for your encouragement, for your strength, for your thought life, that you would have victory over your mind, for your marriage, for your children. Jesus is interceding on behalf of you and your family. He is our high priest forever. And what we need to do is come alongside what Jesus is already praying for us and believe that God has already given us the victory. Do you know what the word amen means? It means I agree. Let it be done. Yes. We need to be saying amen to what Jesus is praying over us. The promises of God and what Jesus is praying over us, they can be found in Scripture. And whenever you get to a promise of God that you find in Scripture, you could say, there it is. He's saying it. Jesus is praying for it. Amen. I believe it. It's for me. And we stop doubting. We stop believing that, that, uh, that, that something else is true. What happened to Jesus happened for us, right? He's not only the high priest, but he made you a priest as well. Jesus ascended to heaven to become the high priest, and he made us a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but if you, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You've been made a priest to worship God with the rest of your life. You've been made a priest to intercede on behalf of the world around you. And you are now the connection point between God and the rest of humanity. You are who people look to when they want to have an encounter with God. Because you carry the presence of God with you. The temple is no longer outside. It's inside. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you are a priest of that temple. You are a priest in God's eyes. He made you a priest. He ascended to heaven so that he could become the high priest forever. Interceding on our behalf. The third reason is that Jesus ascended to heaven to be exalted to the right hand of God. Mark 16, 19 says, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Now, the right hand of God symbol. This is my right hand. The right hand of God symbolize. I know there's some of you who still struggle with your left and right still. My wife is one of them. Sorry, babe. I just called you out. She's probably watching online. Be praying. My wife's not feeling well this morning. So be praying for her. the right hand of God. It symbolizes power and authority. And Paul says in Philippians that Jesus has uh, uh, that Jesus had equality with God while he was on earth, but he didn't use it to his advantage. He was still fully God, but he didn't use it to his advantage. The glory, his glory was veiled by his human form. It was veiled over by his human form. Jesus ascended because his mission was complete. The Bible says that he came to be a, a sacrifice for the world. And once his mission was complete, it was time to return to his glorious and exalted seat in heaven. But what happened to Jesus happened for us. Not in the same way. We too are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. We don't sit at the right hand of God because that place is reserved for Jesus. Jesus shares equality with God, but we have been exalted to heavenly places. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him. But it didn't end with the resurrection. It keeps going. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus say to his disciples? How how should we pray? He said, I want you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we, there's a reality that I believe the enemy is keeping from believers. He doesn't want us to understand this. That you and I have been seated with Christ in heaven. And we are connected to the throne through the work of the Holy Spirit. The power and the authority that has been given to Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus passes on that power and authority to to the church. And he says, go. Jesus had a mission while he was on earth. And the church is the fulfillment of that mission. We are continuing Jesus's earthly ministry on his behalf. And we can't accomplish it on our own. So Jesus says, I'm going to take my seat in heaven where all authority and power has been given to me. And I'm going to transfer it through the work of the Holy Spirit to the church. So that you can have all power and authority to cast out demons, to heal sickness. You have all power and authority. And we're connected to the throne. We have to, we have to get this in our bones, church. That there is more to life. I remember thinking when I was 19 years old. I went off for a year at college, and my roommate, who I thought was a really strong Christian, suddenly was wanting to experience the things that the world offered him. And I was struck because I, it kinda, I, was, I was shocked that my roommate would do this. I thought he was a strong believer, and I started asking myself the question, do I want that? Because what I've experienced of the church so far is, is you got your golden ticket, you're good. Just wait it out, Right? Just hold on. Buckle your seatbelts because the fire and the brimstone is coming, but Jesus is going to save you, and we just got to wait for that. We got to wait for Jesus' return. And I thought to myself, if that is all there is to Christianity, then I want something else. And I had a moment with the Holy Spirit, and that, and I've, I've told this story so many times at this church, but I, I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit in my bedroom, and, the, and that was kind of the moment that I realized that there was more to Christianity than just a golden ticket to heaven. That I had access to the presence of God. And it was life-changing. It was beautiful. And I felt a love that I never felt before. I felt a power and a peace that I've never felt before. There is more to life than just waiting out, waiting it out for eternity. But we are connected to the throne room through the power of the Holy Spirit. We are seated in heavenly places. Don't ever say, I don't have what it takes, because you have, you have access to the throne of heaven. You have all the resources of heaven at your disposal. The last reason Jesus ascended to enable our faith. What does this mean? He ascended to enable our faith. When Jesus appeared to his disciples for the first time after his resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. And the others tried to tell Thomas, Jesus was here, he's alive. But Thomas didn't believe the report of the others. And he said, unless I touch the nail marks in his hands and his feet, then I'm not going to believe. I've got to see to believe. So Jesus, in his grace and his love, he appears once again to Thomas and says, here you go, Thomas. Touch him. Touch my nail marks. Touch my. This is me. Believe it. And then Jesus said this in John 20, 29. 
Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Ephesians 2.8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. Your salvation is a work of grace that you receive by faith. And faith is confidence in something that you cannot see. Essentially, it's complete trust in God's words. Believing that God's word is true. That what he says is absolute authority. It's trust in what God says is true. And Jesus ascended to provide us with an opportunity to display our trust in God. Back to the earlier conversation that I had at the beginning of the message. Why doesn't Jesus just walk the earth with us today so that all can believe? Well, ask that question to Adam and Eve. Because that's exactly what they had. Did it work out for them? It wasn't enough. God, in his brilliance, in his brilliant infiniteness, he's determined that the best way, that putting your trust, putting your complete trust in Jesus is the only way to have a relationship with him. Think of the Israelites that saw the, the miraculous powers. They saw the Red Sea part. They, they were there to experience the ten plagues. They, the manna was provided in the wilderness. Moses struck the, wa- the, the, the rock and water flowed. They were there at the base of Mount Sinai when God, dis- when God descended on the mountain and, the, and everything shook violently. They saw the power of God. They saw God move, and yet they still turned time and time again. They falter and they waver and they doubt. And God has realized, he, God, God, God has determined that, listen, seeing is not believing. It takes more than to see. You have to put your complete trust in me. This is what happened in the very beginning in the garden of Eden. God says, trust me, Adam and Eve. This tree is bad for you. No touchy. Don't go there. Eat from the tree of life. That's a good tree. Eat all you want there, but don't touch this. He didn't remove the option because he respects our, our, our will, our free will to choose. But what did Adam and Eve do? Mm, mm, no, I think I'm going to decide what's best. I'm not going to trust what God says is true. And from that moment on, God says, no, we need a reversal. We need a way for people to choose me. But they need power. They need help. They can't do it on their own will. Adam and Eve, they tried to do it on their own will. But I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send a a spirit that's going to fill them, that's going to help them make the decisions towards me. This spirit is going to help them walk in obedience. The spirit is going to help my people abide in me. And so putting our trust in Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. How do we learn to place our trust in Jesus after all this time, despite all the devil throws at us? How do we learn to put our faith in Jesus? I've already mentioned, I've already mentioned his name already. The answer is found in the person that Jesus ascended to give us. It's the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says to his followers. John 16, I'm going to read 7 and 8, and then I'm going to skip to 13 through 15. It says, but truly I tell you, it is good for you... That I'm going away. Now, this word good for you, this, the translation here, this, it doesn't mean it's going to feel good. It means it's for your benefit. The disciples are there going, oh, why do you have to go? You, 
They've fallen in love with their Messiah, their rabbi, their teacher, their friend, their companion for the last three years. This is the guy. They love their Lord. He died for them. He rose again. And now they're saying, you've got to go. And Jesus says, it's not going to feel good, but it's for your benefit. It's good for you that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will he will prove this is he will convict or he will provide evidence as an attorney in court. He will prove or convict the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here's the key verse. Verse 14. He will glorify me. Because it is from me that he will receive what will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit gives believers power and spiritual gifts that enable us to accomplish God's mission on the earth. However, power is not the Spirit's primary objective. The Spirit's The Holy Spirit gives you power. He gives you ability to follow God. But that is not his primary objective. According to verse 14, the Spirit's purpose is to glorify Jesus. It is to give testament to what Jesus has done. The word glorify uh, means to praise or to honor or to celebrate that person. And one way that the Spirit honors Jesus is by revealing to people what Jesus has done for them, and the Spirit removes the veil from over their heads, from over their hearts, so they can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. The Spirit's primary purpose is to glorify Jesus by testifying and and, and confirming who Jesus is and what he has done, that he came for you. He lived a sinless life filled with the Holy Spirit, And we're called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That he died for the sins of the world. That he rose again to give us new life. And he ascended so that we would have access to the throne of heaven. We are also seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And we have victory in the spirit. Testifies of the good news. He confirms the good news in people's hearts. And he removes the veil from the hearts of people. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. I think this is Second Corinthians 3. I might have got this reference wrong. You can check it. All right. Therefore, no, I think I got it wrong. Yeah, my bad. Uh, I'll find it. I'm going to read it for you. This is the verse that I want to get to. I just don't know the reference. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what is passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Listen to this. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all This is you and I with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory 
and we're being transformed into his image. We're following in his footsteps. We're becoming more like him with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is what? The Spirit. The Spirit is revealing and confirming who Jesus is and what he did for you, and he's also at work in transforming you and making you more like Jesus. I'm going to... I want to do a little illustration here. And to be honest, I don't know how it's going to go. Uh, But I need one person who really trusts me. Nobody trusts me here? Come here, Max. Max trusts me. Hey, my mom's here. Okay, come on up here, mom. mom. No, Max, I want you up here. I need a couple more people too. I need like like, uh, three more people. Max, come here. Uh, Max, this is my beanie. I was going to get like a black hood, but I thought that would be a little scary for church. So... Throw this over your head so you can't see anything. I don't want you to see anything, okay? This is his veil. Max is veiled. His heart has not yet been, uh, he hasn't seen who Jesus is truly. He's heard about Jesus. He knows about Jesus. Thank you, Dave. Mom, can you come over here? I need, I need uh, two other people. Can, can, can I, yeah, Kieran, get over here, man. Thanks, man. Uh, uh, yeah, Nathan, come on up here. All right. Huh? Yep. Stand on the line right here. Nathan, get on the end right here. Kieran, come right here. All right, Max needs to know the truth, right? He needs to know the truth. Now, he's not looking, and nobody say anything. Nobody say anything. We're going to put the truth up on the screen. Let's put it up on the screen. Here's the truth. Don't say it out loud. Now, Max needs to know the truth. Nathan here was in the first century. He saw Jesus ascend. He knows the truth. Nathan, can you look at the screen? Nobody else? Are you guys looking at the screen? Okay, that's fine. Nathan, look at the screen. All right. Now, I want you, I want you to whisper into Dave's ear so that Max can't hear. I want you to whisper into Dave's ear what's, what, what the truth is. Now, now uh, I, I want you to look at the screen and whisper into the next person's ear the truth. Can you look at the screen? Now, as, as they, as they, now you've got to understand, as they're hearing this word, the veil is being removed from their faces, too. They all originally had veils, but now the veil's coming off. I didn't have enough beanies, okay? <laughs> the veil's coming off. Okay, now, Mom, can you whisper the last, the, can you look at the screen? Can you, can you whisper what the truth is? Oh, Max, what do you think the truth is? Jesus is alive. Man. Isn't that a bummer that after, after all of these years, that even, even you know, after this game of phone tag, they still can't get it right. They still, they still, you know, the message is misconstrued all the way over here. Isn't that unfortunate how they still can't get it right? The message has been jumbled through all this time, through all this history. Max, your, your eternity is on the line, okay? Now, I need you to, to take another guess at what it says. Jesus is risen? Yeah, you know, it could say that, but I want you to go with your gut. Go with your gut. What do you think the truth is? How do you how do you, how do you think you experience salvation? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Man, you're so close, you know. Okay, and then the Holy Spirit comes. Now I'm going to switch. I'm not this voice anymore. The Holy Spirit comes and he says, "All right, now look, the truth. There's the truth. You guys can have a seat. Here's what. Thank you. Can you everybody give them a hand? Now some of you are really confused." What you, what you probably figured out is I was playing the voice of the devil here. Because this is what the devil does. Is that 
the Bible says that the seed is planted. Some hear the word and it falls on the soil, but then the birds come and they snatch it away, right? And what the devil comes is, is he says stuff like that. He says, oh, I wish that was true, but man, can you really trust the Bible? I mean, it's been thousands of years. People have probably altered it and altered it. But the reality is, is that throughout time, as people have received truth, they have also encountered the person of Jesus. They have also witnessed the truth. The veil has been removed from their hearts, and they see Jesus themselves. And it is confirmed in them who Jesus is and what he has done. It is the truth that is a, a firm foundation. And the enemy is on this side going, no, no, no. Come on, I wish it were that simple. I wish you could just but trust and believe. But the reality is, is you got to be a good person. You got to go with your gut. You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to perform. Because when you get to heaven, listen, if you've done more bad things than good things, and you're you're not going to make it, you got to do a lot of good things in your life. And the enemy gets us focused on performance. He gets us. He he might even say, No, Jesus is in the truth. He's got a different name. His name's Allah. His name's Buddha. His name's Joseph Smith. This is what the enemy does. He tries to convince us of a lie, but then the moment comes when the Holy Spirit, he removes the veil from our hearts, and we're able to clearly see the truth. Jesus is resurrected. It is for me. He is alive. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. He is in the business of removing the veil. Some of you in this room have family members who are walking far from God. You have friends who they can't see the truth. But can I tell you that please continue to pray for them, continue to model Jesus for them, but it is a work of the Holy Spirit that is going to show them the truth. Only the Holy Spirit can remove the veil from their head so they can see Jesus clearly. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, reveal yourself. Reveal Jesus to them. Reveal who Jesus is it is a work of the Holy Spirit. Sin brought the law, and the law says we have to perform in order to be right with God. And that places a veil over our hearts. It makes people think that they can somehow attain salvation on their own. But then the Holy Spirit removes the veil. And he allows us to see what the good news is for us. And not only do we see Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, like I said, is transforming us into his image and truly truly allowing us to follow him in life, in death, in resurrection, and yes, in his ascension. What happened to Jesus happens for us. Jesus came to be with me. He died to forgive me. He rose to give me new life. And he ascended, number one, to show me the way to heaven. To make me a priest in a world that is looking for a connection with God. To give me power and authority because the Holy Spirit connects me to the throne. And to give me an opportunity to place my trust in Jesus. To believe by faith. Mary, I'm going to ask you to come up and play as we close. The fourth part of the gospel that Jesus ascended to give, to give you victory. It assumes the fifth part of the gospel. There's a fifth part. That Jesus is coming again. That he's returning. That we are still in an engagement phase. The wedding hasn't even begun. The best is yet to come. He's coming for his church. I pray, church, that 
over the course of these past five weeks as we've been talking about the good news. I pray that the Holy Spirit would make these pillars anchors for our souls. That we would truly understand what it means that Jesus came to be with me despite my brokenness, despite my sin. I've pushed him away. I've, I've, I've ran away from God. I've, but Jesus said, I'm coming anyway. I want to be with you in the midst of it. Jesus came to be with us. He died to forgive you. This needs to be an anchor in our soul that you have been forgiven. This is hard for us to understand because we humans, we've got a limit, don't we? We're like, that. I've forgiven them enough. Man, they've had their chance. They've had their second, third, fourth, fifth chance. Jesus says 70 times 7. Listen, I've, had, I've, I've reached 70 times 7. The limit's up. But God does not operate like that. God's forgiveness is a gift that is freely extended over and over and over. And it doesn't matter how much you fall. It doesn't matter how far you run. God says, I sent everything. I bankrupt heaven. I gave everything and put him on a cross. And, and he died for you. He was crucified for you. That is how much Jesus loves us. That's how much God loves us. How much God wants to forgive us. How much he wants us with him. Jesus rose to give you new life. This must be an anchor for our soul that you are not the same person that you were before Jesus. You have been given a new nature, a new spirit, one that follows after God, one that has the ability to pursue God through the work of the Holy Spirit. He rose to give you new life. As oftentimes we walk around like, I'm still just a sinner. I'm a sinner and I, I'm never going to get this right. And I've just got to wait till I enter those pearly gates in order to experience true freedom. No, no, no. Jesus brought heaven to earth when he came. And he gave us the Holy Spirit so we could have access to heaven now. He gave us new life. There's more to Christianity than just raising your hand and getting their golden ticket to heaven. Jesus didn't just save you from something. He saved you into something. And Jesus ascended to give us victory. He is interceding on our behalf. That He is sitting on the throne. And what he is receiving from the Father, he's passing it to the Holy Spirit so we can have access to it too. He is our high priest. He's made you a priest. He's enabling our faith. In those moments in life where we begin to doubt, we begin to ask questions. You know, Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt. I don't think God likes doubt. Doubt is not of God. God wants you to place your trust, your faith in him. But doubt is, is, is natural in the life of a believer. That we face these, we come to these points of doubt. And we need to make room for doubt in our life. Because every time we make room for doubt, we're also making room for our faith. To put new faith in Jesus and say, yes, I do believe. You can bring your doubt to God. He's not afraid of it. As we close this time, I want to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. If you're in this place and suddenly the truth about Jesus is really Maybe you've never said yes to the person of Jesus before.
for me, that all of this is, is for me. If you've never personally recognized Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, and you've never declared with your mouth Jesus is Lord and confessed that you believe that God raised him from the dead, if that's you in this place, then you say, this morning is the day. I want to make this decision today to invite Jesus into my life. If you've never said that before, just raise your hand right now for me to see it. Sign up for baptism, come up to get prayer, and come to serve Dick.